0: Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The The Business Business Exit Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful, and yes, some not so successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit.
1: Today we have with us Dave Marks. Dave is a buy side M&A advisor. Most of the M&A advisors that are guests on this podcast are sell side advisors. Being on the buy side, Dave brings a different perspective to his transactional stories that he shares with us today. In his first story, Dave tells how a founder who was selling his business had the absolute criteria that he did not want to work in the business after it was sold. He was simply burned out and wanted to move on. So what do you think happened? And what should you prepare for when you sell your business? That's right, the unexpected always happens. Listen to how this particular issue was resolved that benefited everyone in this transaction. In his next story, Dave talks about how important the deal terms that are outlined in a letter of intent are, and if a key deal point is included it may end up saving your deal, if you get it right. And, if you don't, it may derail your deal completely. In the story that Dave shares with us today, he discusses how this deal got derailed. Listen and learn from his transaction so you don't have to make the same mistake. It just may save your deal at some time in the future. Dave then shares what not to do when you have a buyer at the closing table that has made you a good offer. Too often, entrepreneurs get greedy and try to squeeze just a little bit more out of a deal. If you do this, you're really playing a game of chicken, and sometimes, if you aren't careful, you can lose this game of chicken. Listen to what happened when an electronics manufacturer played this game of chicken. Finally, listen to the logic of why business owners insist that their business is worth a lot more than all of the offers that they are presented. There is an accounting term called sunk cost that these sellers simply don't understand sometimes. After you listen to this episode, you should understand this concept of sunk cost, and if you do, it will help you position your business for a successful exit in the future. This is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories podcast. Today, we're here with Dave Marks. Dave, would you take a few minutes and share a little bit about your background, where you're located, and a little bit about your company before we get wrapped up and involved in our storytelling today on the podcast? Sure.
2: Thank you, Marvin. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm the founder and managing principal of Frontrunner Consulting. Come this November, we my lucky 13th year in business and What I do, I provide two levels of service, one as an executive recruiter, the other one as a merger and acquisition intermediary matching buyers and sellers of companies.
1: All right. Well, that is an interesting combination of skills there. We'll probably talk a little bit about that because I think some of the stories you're going to share about some transactions you've been involved in actually involve some situations where you do use your executive recruiting skills in these transactions that you've been able to steer through. Let me ask you one other question before we get started here. You represent buyers versus sellers in most situations. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, because most of the advisors and M&A specialists and investment bankers, or in some cases, attorneys actually represent the sell side. And so this is a little bit different orientation today as we talk to Dave. We'll be talking a little bit about a perspective that he brings to the table that is more on the buyer side. So, I want the audience out there to take particular note, uh, since you'll all be sellers, that you really kind of need to know what is going on on the other side of the table with your buyer. So, with that in mind, let's jump into some of the transactions you've been involved in. And why don't you share one that had some specific challenges as you brought this deal to the closing table?
2: Sure. Well, the first situation we can talk about was working with an owner of a metal fabrication company up in the Detroit area. He was looking to sell the business. He was at retirement age. The opportunity came to me from an executive that wanted to run the company at close. So I addressed the owner's need of finding somebody to run the business, presented that opportunity to ownership, to um, a, a strategic buyer that I was working with, they engaged in the opportunity and throughout the whole process, things were moving along pretty well. It took a little more than half a year to get the deal closed. The hiccup in the opportunity came at closing when the buyer asked the owner to stay on for a
1: year, totally <laughs> against what we were expecting. So as I understand what you were sharing with us here is that we have the owners of the company, and it sounds like they didn't really have a succession plan in place. Right. Nobody
2: in the family taking over the business. He was looking to sell, but felt confident in the executive that brought this opportunity to me that he was going to lead the business at closing.
1: So the owner felt comfortable moving forward with the process. Okay, so we have an owner here that is introduced to someone that could actually run the company that had apparently some industry expertise, right? For the owner to feel comfortable with him? Absolutely, correct. So he knew this metal fabrication industry and had a high degree of management capability and industry knowledge that the seller really felt comfortable that this guy could pick up the baton and carry it forward.
2: Yeah, from day one, absolutely.
1: Did the owner kind of want to stay around and mentor him for a while? Or was he kind of looking for an exit to go lay on the beach someplace and take it easy? He wanted to
2: sell popcorn
1: on the beach at closing.
2: So he <laughs> wanted, to, wanted to, to move on. So he had no desire to to stay on. The gentleman that I brought to lead the company, he had run a business that was 10 times the size. So he was well-versed in, in leading the company, which gave the
1: owner the confidence to move forward and the opportunity with the buyer that I identified. So we have some expectations here. We have expectations by the seller that we have a buyer that had the financial worth all to acquire the business, a management person, executive that was going to run the business, and he was looking forward to exiting the business and stepping away almost immediately after the closing. And that was the expectation all along. And what changed all of a sudden that there was change in these expectations?
2: Well, I don't necessarily know if it was a change as much as the discussions between the seller and the buyer focused more on the company at the sale, not necessarily my executive, I brought you the opportunity. He was not engaged throughout the process, which looking back on it could have been a pretty good red flag. So at closing, what happened was the buyer said, owner, for us to close the deal, we need you to stay on for one year to ensure a smooth transition. Totally opposite for what the seller was looking for. So my executive who brought the deal to me to lead the company but the owner knew for the deal to close, he needed to step up and commit himself to another year or two of the deal. So it was totally unexpected. But to get the
1: deal done, that's what the owner had to do. So it sounds like kind of a breakdown in involvement of the management team during the closing process and due diligence or whatever process was taking place as the deal made its way to close that there was some lack of confidence on the buyer that the executive would be able to step in seamlessly and carry the business forward and had this additional criteria that the seller stay on for up to a year, I guess. And that's not something he wanted to do. I guess at that point in time, he could have said, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to walk away.
2: Well, true. But leading up to this, he had engaged a sell-side advisor For literally a year before I got involved in it and had no success finding a buyer. So at this point, we're a year and a half to almost two years into the deal. So it really put the owner in a bind. And I think this could have been resolved if we had a better transition discussion throughout the process. But so much focus was on getting the deal closed between the buyer and the seller on the transaction itself. We didn't have that communication about the transition of who was going to lead that company. So when I Think back to your audience being owners of businesses, really critical to identify up front. I have this executive qualified to lead it. I'd like to see him run it. If that's not acceptable to you, fine, but let's determine if you have somebody in place to do so because I, as the owner, I don't want to stay on. So sit in
1: those expectations clearly up front certainly a learning experience in that opportunity. Sounds like the real takeaway here for those listening in today is that even though you might not want to stay on as a seller of a business, circumstances do change. And sometimes just to get the business closed and sold, you may have to adjust those expectations and accommodate the buyer.
2: Absolutely. That's that's what he did. It wasn't his first uh, choice, but considering the time that he was trying to sell the business,
1: it was a good offer, what he was looking for. And and the end of the day, he took the offer, but stayed on for that year. So just out of curiosity, do you know if he was compensated or how he was compensated for staying on?
2: Well, I have an agreement in, in these kinds of opportunities where if that executive circumvented from running the business because he brought me that opportunity, he wasn't being paid by either the buyer or the seller. So what I did was evenly split the buy side finder's fee I got from the buyer so that he equally was compensating the opportunity because I'm Always a big believer that half of something's a whole lot better than
1: all of nothing. So we both benefited from the opportunity. So really, in this situation, I guess owners and sellers of businesses really need to just be aware that these things that come up at the last minute that even though it may be something that you personally don't want to do, you kind of have to buck up and accommodate the buyer to make sure that the deal closes. <laughs> right. So that, that's a great insight there. I appreciate you sharing that with us here today. So why don't we talk about another transaction? that you've been involved in from your perspective as a representing the buyer. So give us another transactional story that works well to illustrate some of these takeaways that you'll share with us later.
2: Well, sure. Uh, Another example I can think about is in the payment processing space, the uh, management team of this company came to me saying that ownership wanted to sell the business, but they wanted the management team to stay on. So it's a true management buyout opportunity. And in the industry that they're in, in payment processing, the challenge we all knew right up front was 20% of their business is in what's called adult-themed business. So right off the bat, that's going to shrink the audience of potential buyers, not something that private equity would normally like because their general partners, the funders of these opportunities,
1: want cleaner types of situations. So let me just ask a question here for our audience's benefit. A private equity buyer, generally you have general partners or limited partners that bring capital to the table and they invest it in a fund that the general partners will deploy. And the type of businesses they deploy in are somewhat restrictive because of the covenants of the partnership is that right exactly yes, and so even though this may be a great business because of the type of customers that in this situation was a payment processing, and do you have any idea of the type of percentage the revenue was attributed to this quote adult themed market
2: yeah it was it was twenty percent, so it was pretty significant. It was large enough that even getting three different private equity groups engaged at the end of the day, the pushback came back to the customer base being 20% still spooked them. So in my network of, of MA ent- entities, it could be private equity, could be a family office, or it could be a strategic buyer. And in a management buyer opportunity, when you're working with the top executives in a business, a lot of times going to a strategic is not advisable because a lot of times they'll just roll up that business into the company and employ their existing management team so I can circumvent the existing management team in that type of a situation. So I try to stay away from that. And in this situation, I found a family
1: office, different covenants. Why don't you share a little bit and define what a family office is? That's a term that doesn't come up very often on the podcast.
2: Yeah, good question. In private equity, they have charters that say they have to sell the business in two, three, five, maybe seven years at the most so that their general partners can get their money back. Think of a a family office, Walton money as an example. They don't have any kind of charter to sell a business. They may keep it for a hundred years. So they don't have the same requirements to sell the business. And because it's family money, they don't have to address limited partners. So in this situation with uh, the adult themed business, it wasn't as much of a concern the, the challenge was because this family office had not invested in that industry. The management team wasn't real eager to engage in the opportunity, but the family office engaged an operating partner from that industry who actually knew the president of the company for sale. So great synergy gave the confidence of the management team to move forward. And what was nice from the management perspective was ownership gave full control. To the management team to run the process they said you run with it you guys are versed in this they've done acquisitions for this company so they gave them 100 percent control just bring us in as owners when you get an offer so that was great flexibility for the management team to work with and the buyer that i brought to the opportunity
1: so was the relatively stable earnings, or was it a growing or expanding business? What was the revenue flow like?
2: Well, they were doing great. This was during the the COVID shutdown from from last year, and when we first got the the buyers engaged, the valuation that was set. And I want to give you kind of some perspective here: is that um, the owners were looking for seven and a half times earnings for the business, which in that industry actually. Little bit lower. There have been a number of companies that have sold for 15 times earnings, but the management team felt like we can be reasonable. I think seven and a half is uh, thinking back now, it was nine and a half times. But the premise was owners had a good expectation of of selling the business. And in just the 90 days from when I got the business engaged to we got to an offer, the company's revenue and earnings had increased so much that it dramatically increased the valuation of the business, which was the challenge in this opportunity. Because when the offer was first made, it was made at $60 million, which was fine. But by that time the offer actually came into play three months later, the company did so well, keeping the same multiple, the valuation of the business went from $60 million to $85 million, Pretty big jump. The, the sad part to me was when ownership came back and said, well, listen, <laughs> your $60 million was, was fair three months ago, but here we are three months later doing so much better. We're looking at that same multiple. It should be valued at $85 million. The of offer from my buyer went from $60 million to sixty two, which obviously to the owners was not acceptable. It said opportunity fell through concurrent to that. Throughout this whole discussion, the strategic was courting this business. And when my offer from the buyer dropped, not accepted, they engaged the strategic. The unknown part at this point is what's going to happen to the management team. Are they just going to be rolled up
1: into the potential buyer and not be part of the new company? That's yet to be determined. So you have a situation here where you have a business that is growing and Given the circumstances at the time, COVID would actually probably benefited this business somewhat. Well, think about that for, for a
2: point, talking about benefiting the business. This is all online transactions. You have people at home buying things online, whether it was for traditional consumer products, e-commerce, or even adult theme. But COVID actually helped that company grow so much in that time frame. It really adjusted
1: the valuation of the business positively. So, from a strategic point of view, I guess, and for our audience here to think through how this might affect their businesses when they're looking to sell, when you get to the letter of intent stage and you start outlining what the transaction is really going to be and the seller looks at those letters of intent... What is something that should be included in a letter of intent that would preclude something like this from coming below expectations, especially when you have a dramatic increase or, in some cases, a decrease sure. in revenue or earnings from the time the letter of intent until you actually close the deal? Right. Well, the, the most obvious point in a
2: letter of intent is agreeing to a purchase price, but that purchase price has to be tied to what the multiple is for say the earnings. In this case, it was nine and a half times earnings. So what should have been done at the very beginning is ownership says to the potential buyer, okay, if we grow that much more over time, keeping the multiple the same, we should be rewarded for that increased revenue. And conversely, if sales drop during that time from LOI to close, whether it's 60 days, 90 days, half a year or a year, that revenue decreases, but you're still keeping that multiple the same. And in this situation, I had coached the buyer quite <laughs> in a detailed analysis, keeping the multiple the same. That valuation needed to be at $85 million and went and didn't totally understand why the, why the owners rejected the offer. But that's something ownership really has to adhere to is accept from the buyer, we continue to grow. We need to be compensated for that lockstep with that growth, but also accept the downturn if sales were to decrease between
1: LOI and closing. So I guess the takeaway then, if we were going to look at how that would affect a sale, is that you need to make sure that LOI is tied to a multiple up or down tied to revenues or profitability, correct, and that the price would be adjusted, so it's not a surprise to anybody right uh, as revenues increase or decrease, that floating the closing price is going to just be tied into a multiple versus a static price, and that's kind of where it went sideways here,
2: yeah, and it should be a reasonable expectation I mean if if on um, you know day one you get the l o i done and six months later. The company hasn't grown well the buyers aren't happy with that they expect it to grow so it should not be a surprise that they have to pay a little bit more for it but everybody has to be on that same page
1: keeping the multiple the same to pay accordingly for that expected growth all right that's good. Well, Dave, let's move on to a transaction that may have had a little bit different outcome. And let's dig into some of those takeaways that you're sharing with us here today from a buy side that you're representing buyers is a little bit different of an orientation. So share another transaction with us, if you would.
2: Sure. We have one that's going on right now where I've got, again, an acquisition executive that found a company for sale. He's brought that opportunity to me. And and again, the owner And his wife looking to sell the business, founders of the company, they've had it for over 20 years, perfectly aligned with with what my executive does in the electronic manufacturing service sector. Picture like printed circuit boards, components that go into electronics and machinery, automobiles, aircraft, and so on. So the same situation. They want to sell, move on, take care of their life somewhere else, but not in this business. So I found a buyer. That not only was willing to pay the multiple, but did something really unusual that you don't see. And this company had a great last twelve months of revenue and earnings. They made about two million in in uh, EBITDA profit. The challenge was a year earlier they're at break even. Two years ago they were about a million in the hole. And normally any buyer is going to look at trailing three years of earnings to value the business, to make an offer. In this situation, the owners were looking for a multiple based on the last 12 months, their best year in three years, really unusual for a buyer to be willing to do it. But I found somebody that's like a strategic kind of family office. The the opportunity is they own a business similar to it. So there's good synergies in, in the business, willing to go ahead and meet that multiple, the valuation, what the business was, not looking at the two to three years back on the opportunity. Great discussions where we're at the LOI stage. The the thing that's gone a little sideways is the owners are like, okay, we've got a buyer engaged. Let's see if we can add a few more things that are not customary at the stage or probably wouldn't be accepted
1: by a buyer. So that's a little bit of a hand up of where we're at in this opportunity. So what I'm hearing you say here, Dave, is that An unusual circumstance where a buyer, because they recognize the value of the business and it's a good fit for what they're looking to do, were willing to overlook years 2 and 3 because those revenues and profitability weren't all that great right and they were looking and were willing to accept the last 12 months of revenue as a basis for establishing the value of the business and that was a sweetheart deal oh it's a fantastic situation right. and
2: i've i've had to coach the owners really unusual to to a find a buyer that not only matches the valuation and discounts the previous two years. But the other challenge in this business is their top three customers comprise 70% of the revenue. And that's a deal breaker for most buyers,
1: too high of customer concentration. Oh yeah. You see that all the time where the concentration is just too steep or too tilted toward just a handful of people, or sometimes even one. You have the last 12 months, they have concentration issues. The strategic buyer was willing to overlook all of those issues and give a solid offer for the business. And even with all of this, the seller still wanted to squeeze a little bit more out of this transaction.
2: Yeah, I always say that, you know, it's their business. They can ask whatever they want, but it doesn't mean that they're going to get it. And I think in this, this example, they're probably thinking, okay, we've got somebody on the hook. Let's see if we can add you know, a couple more things to it. And just one example is they purchased a million dollars in equipment over the last 90 days. And their premise was, well, geez, we, if we knew you were going to buy the business, we went out and bought it. So we want a million more for the business. The buyers are coming back and saying, it's just cost the capital. You're going to do that, whether you're going to buy or sell the business or not. So it's something that's just embedded, but you cannot ask for a million dollars more for, for the business. Otherwise, you would ask for a million less if you did. So it's, it's something that you know, we're, we're coaching the, the owners on the situation. The, the buyer's demeanor is just phenomenal. They are just such a collaborative group to work with that they can coach the owners through the process of what they've been through for numerous Transactions to make sure that it's a good deal for both parties, and that's what they always talk about. It has to be good for the owner, but it has to be fair to the seller. And we're almost at that LOI stage now. But but the thing that I want to get across to business owners is if you take a step back and you found a buyer that's synergistic to what you're doing, we've got an executive that can take over the business, ensure continuity in the hundred plus employees they have. So it's not an environment that you're going to find many other employers that they could go to if it was just rolled up to a strategic that would just basically buy the customer base and fire everybody and run the business to their facility if they have excess capacity. So it's a great situation, but we don't want an owner to take advantage of the situation either by asking you know, concessions or you know aspects that really aren't relevant to getting the deal closed. So I always say, take a step back, appreciate where you're at, a buyer looking at just your last 12 months, your best year in three years, that's really unusual. Go with it, make the opportunity happen, sell the company, be happy it's in good hands and go from there. But when you start piling on
1: aspects that asking a little bit too much, you know, you may lose the deal. So what is the old saying is about pigs and hogs? What's that saying? He said, pigs get fat,
2: hogs get slaughtered. So being a pig's not too bad, but being a hog's
1: definitely not good. (laughs) That's a good one, Marvin. (laughs) So this is really a situation where when you have a qualified, enthusiastic buyer at the table, don't get greedy don't try to squeeze the last little bit out of the deal because some buyers will just walk away well that's the, the challenge in, in this
2: we're, we're talking you know to somebody that's doing transactions you know on a weekly basis so you know they could say listen you know if you're going to ask all these concessions that don't make sense we'll just walk away and move on to the next deal For the owner this is the only opportunity that the acquisition brought to them out of numerous ones. He and I worked on were traditionally the buyer would would value the business over the last three years, which presents a much lower valuation and even a discount more for the higher customer concentration. So, if that owner's looking for X, and I got buyers coming in at say fifty percent of X, my guy we didn't even present it to the owner. So when you get somebody that comes in and meets that valuation. Yeah, don't blow it. T- you know, take a step back and
1: realize this is what we're looking for. Let's move forward and make it happen. I think for those that will be looking to exit in the next few years, you really have to decide and realize that when you have a transaction that meets most of your criteria, you're probably not going to get everything. Right. (laughs) But when it meets most of those criteria, keep your eye on the end objective and that's to exit at a fair valuation that meets everyone's needs. And it's a give and take. So that's a good takeaway and well illustrated here with a buyer that was willing to work through the process. And so that's where communication is really crucial. And a good advisor is involved in this that will facilitate that type of communication and make sure that everyone is on task. So let's talk a little bit about another transaction that worked out well for everybody.
2: Sure, well, I wouldn't say it worked out well, but but the, the fourth example we can talk about, business up in Cleveland, it's a powder coating, metal fabrication business that puts like anti-corrosion components on nuts, bolts, screws that can go onto like aerospace components, as an example.
1: Company that got the CEO placed in. Let's just get some context here. So you worked with this company and actually put in the person that was running it operationally into the CEO. That was something that you were involved in.
2: Right. This is a traditional executive recruitment opportunity. They had no CEO. I was contacted by the CFO to find an executive, found somebody perfectly aligned. And and when when I do my executive searches, Marvin, it's only going to be people industry aligned, relevant P&L experience. And if my client's private equity, somebody has worked for a PE-backed company who has successfully put themselves out of a job by having that company sold and being rewarded on the back end for doing so. So here is somebody who had a PhD in metallurgy, which is what this industry is in, Plus he had the sales acumen to help drive business for this company. So having that engineering degree and the sales acumen is really unusual, but he was he was hired to lead the business. And through that process of working with him and the CFO, literally just within months, told me that the ownership group was looking to sell the company. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so, so they just wanted to spin spin that off. And, and the challenge in that situation was the, the company was basically at break-even, about $12 million of revenue, but pretty much flat from an earning perspective. And the ownership team at that point had put in like 10 or $12 million of their own money into the business. So they wanted to be able to get their costs fully out of it. And when you're looking at a business that's break-even, you know, you're not going to get many people that are going to offer much for that business. And they were expecting to get, say, $12 million for the business. So right off the bat, huge disconnect between ownership expectations and what the market
1: would pay. Okay, so let's just set the stage here so I can see where this is going, is that you have the actual owners of the business who have invested time, effort, a lot of money, $10, $12 million, invested into the business. That's whole hard cash into the business, and they're of this mindset that we've invested this money in the business, we need to get that money back out. And so I guess that's referred to in accounting terminology as sunk costs. Yes, exactly. Right. That's kind of irrelevant to what the business is actually <laughs> worth. It's not what owners want to hear, <laughs> yeah. but it is true. <laughs> yeah. So th- those are costs that while real money has been invested and spent doesn't necessarily translate into market valuation when it comes time to exit. So why don't we talk a little bit more about that on the mindset of a owner versus what the reality of what the mindset and attitude of a buyer is.
2: Right. There was was a a disconnect between the valuation of the business, what what the owner expected, and what the market pays. And And like I said earlier, an owner can ask whatever they want for the business, but it doesn't mean they're going to get it. And in this example, they had even engaged an investment banker to value the business and when the results came back much lower than what they were expecting, they didn't even take that advice. So it was a, a situation where you know, you have to be realistic and understand that if your company is not generating profits, you're not going to get a lot for the business. And it, 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 you know, I hate to say it, it doesn't matter what you put into the business, whether it's a dollar or a million or a hundred million, if you're not generating profits, you're not going to get that money back. And I think it would have been helpful if they understood similar businesses that have sold. know, what was the revenue? What was the earnings? What was the multiple it sold for? So it gave them some relevance in the marketplace for what a business goes for. And I think they were somewhat insular in their environment and didn't take that advice and are just disconnected from the marketplace for what the company's worth.
1: So I've seen this in you know, my own experience is that the attitude is what I need to get out of the business really has little relevance, whether it's tied to the amount of money or the amount of time or the emotional commitment or whatever those motivations from the ownership group, whether it's a individual owner or a family operation or a management team, that they need to get a certain amount out of the business and in this situation and in many other situations and maybe some in our audience that are thinking about what they need to get out of a business you really need to step back and say okay what does the market value that's that's, that's it exactly right you want to get that that milestone set
2: of what does the market pay and then determine how close is my business to that if i'm more profitable If I'm having no more EBITDA margins in that business, I should expect to get more. And if it's a little bit less, ratchet it down a little bit. But but you need that market relevance. You really need to understand what your competitors are doing to fairly price your business. And so I guess the takeaway would be what? I think the takeaway is, is get perspective of where your business is in the marketplace. Now, don't just think that because I've invested X in the business, I can get that back. Look at your competition. Maybe you need to engage a side advisor or investment banker that can do, you know, evaluation of your business. Because that's really where you need to be. Because if, if you're thinking X and you're the marketplace is offering you a lot less, you're just going to be wasting your time and you're going to get frustrated. And you know, you have better things to do with your business than try to waste time with, with buyers. that are not going to offer you what you're expecting. If you go in up front, clear expectations of what your business is worth, you're going to be in line with the marketplace and you're going to be more successful finding a buyer who meets you know, you might even get more than the business. But again, you have a realistic expectation of what your business is worth
1: when you have that kind of market relevance. Regardless of your sunk costs, regardless of the time, effort and everything else, those are really irrelevant. It's what the market is at the time, what the multiples that are being paid, what the criteria are, For buyers that are looking at different types of businesses, you deal in a world where you're dealing with a lot of private equity and family office type of clientele, and they do multiple deals. This is different than businesses that are more traditional, maybe main street type of businesses. You are looking at situations where uh, buyers look at multiple deals and they have options. They don't have to take a look at this specific deal and they don't have to make this deal. They can just move on to the next one.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect point. When you're looking whether it's a strategic buyer or private equity or family office, they're doing transactions all the time. They know where the valuations are in the marketplace. You're the owner, you're head down running the business. So you're not out there, you know, looking at other companies for sale. So your perspective is just what's in your own personal universe. So, when you get out there and you try to sell your business on your own, as an example, sometimes you may have that disconnect and it's just because you don't know. And, and it's not necessarily bad, it's just that you don't have that relevance to what the marketplace has versus whoever your buyer is private equity, family office, strategic buyers. They're doing this on a daily basis. They know what the company is worth and they can tell you pretty quickly there's a disconnect, like you said they're going to move on to the next opportunity. So having that true knowledge of what your company's worth gives you that higher probability of success, finding that buyer to get you to that next step of selling your business at a price that you think you deserve that's equal to what the market will bear at that time.
1: Well, these have been great takeaways here today. Some interesting stories from a little bit different orientation than we traditionally get. I mean, you're representing buyers most of the advisors that we've had on as i mentioned earlier in the podcast are on the sell side you're on the buy side representing buyers so you have this different orientation of coming to the table if you could give one nugget for the sellers out there that are looking to position their companies for a successful and profitable exit, what would be one nugget you could give to our audience here today that they might want to keep in mind?
2: Yeah, I think it's having a clear understanding of the value of your business. Again, what is the market bear? You you may think your business is worth 20 times earnings and you get into negotiations and you're hearing time and time again from buyers, your company's worth 5x five and a half X, four and a half X, you begin to realize, I'm just not realistic to where I am. At that point, you can say, I need to readjust or I shouldn't be selling and be continue to run the business. So if you have a clear understanding of what your company's worth, you're increasing your probabilities of finding a buyer that's going to meet those expectations. But don't go into it blindly. You need to have good relevance to what the market pays.
1: Well, great piece of information there. Dave, thank you for being with us here today. People wanted to reach out to you, get a hold of you. What would be the best way for them to contact you?
2: Well, thank you. The the website's frontrunnerconsulting.com. Email is Dave at frontrunnerconsulting.com. And I would say too, even though you know I work with buyers for companies, I can represent an owner of a business that's looking to sell their business, but it's not going to cost them anything because I'll still get paid by the buyer. So if you have an owner out there that says, hey, I'd like to be able to you know, find a buyer for my business, you know, typically you're going to incur a, a fee to that sell side advisor or banker to find a buyer. If you don't want to incur that cost and engage my services, I get paid by the buyer.
1: So it's a no-risk situation for, for your owners to take advantage of. Sounds also like they need a good CEO or someone to run the business. Even. Oh,
2: absolutely. And that's a good <laughs> good point that if you have no succession plan, you're limiting your possibilities of finding a buyer cuz these buyers want somebody at the day of close to
1: run the business so if you have no succession plan. Especially in the private equity realm. I mean, right. there are some buyers and sellers out there. I mean, where owner operators are really the chosen and desired path. But in your situation, most of your buyers that you represent are looking for a strong management team or a key executive to run the business. They don't want to run the business.
2: No, no, they don't. You know, In a classic situation, the owner stays on, continues running the business. But in that situation where the owner doesn't want to stay on, if you don't have a succession plan, you're decreasing your probability of success. So in, in the work that I do, where I mentioned finding an executive, that industry alignment, relevant PL experience, and on day one can step in and run the business concurrent with the owner. And at some point, whether it's three months or six months or whatever, you're saying, okay, the new guy is good to go. Let's put the company on the market. Well, guess what? I can help find a buyer as well, too. So it's something to keep in mind that a lot of entities don't want to engage in an opportunity if there is no succession plan. So if that's holding you back from selling your company, know, Frontrunner Consulting can help you find that executive to help ease in that selling of the business. So good
1: point. Thank you, Marvin. That's an interesting perspective on keying up a company, getting ready is if you don't have a succession plan or someone, you just increase the probability of selling and getting the price that you feel that you deserve out of the business. Well, Dave, again, thanks for being with us here today. This is Marvin L. Storm with Business Texas Stories, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.